This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My name is Chris Hambling and I am your host for this penultimate review show of the season. Palace ended a superb season away from home by condemning a second team to relegation this season. It was Neil Warnock's Cardiff City this time, as Palace outclassed the tiny Welsh battlers, for whom a 3-2 defeat was a fair bit more than they deserved, even in such desperate circumstances. We'll be talking about the game and some additional talking points from the week, as well as looking at a selection of this the content once again. I'll introduce you to my panel after this brief interlude. Back of the Nest Match Preview Podcast. Hello listeners, it's Terence from the Preview Podcast here and we have one more episode left this season where me, Albert and Heskiff will be talking about the Bournemouth game, the last game at Sellers Park. So come and join us and get involved from Thursday next week. Okay, welcome back after that lovely break. They're always nice, the breaks. Um, a lot longer for us than they are for you, I have to say. But uh, let's get on with introducing my panel. First up, let's talk to Sai. Hello, Sai. Hello, how are you doing? You all right? I'm delightful, as you well know. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, good, good. Enjoyed the game on Saturday. A good, good drive up there. Took me about seven hours there and back, so it wasn't too bad. But it, it was a bit. It was a bit crazy when I asked a lovely Welshman for directions to the ground, and he sent me two miles in the wrong direction. So I nearly uh, missed the start of the game, and then didn't want to ask anyone on the way back where to get, how to get back to my car. So it took me an hour <laughs> to walk a mile. So other than that, it was good. You, um, you seem to have been. Pranked a little bit there, by the sounds of it. Too trusting. I'm just too trusting. Absolutely right. Never, never trust a relegated Welshman. Or a soon-to-be-relegated Welshman. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, good, good. Glad um, glad you had fun up up in the old Wales there. Um, next up, let's talk to Mike. Hi, Mike. Yo, yo, yo. Uh, let's I... give, it some, give it some context. Why are you in such a state? What is your problem? Uh, what? Why I'm feeling a bit rough now? Uh, I I've been playing some gigs over the weekends um, that were quite heavy on the the drinks front. Um, I I probably overindulged a little bit, especially on Saturday night. But they were they were fun gigs um, and enjoyed myself immensely. And that's the important thing. You know? uh, it it is indeed. Played with some lovely bands. Yeah, good times. Uh, meant I only got to saw the game on the telly, but um, it was enjoyable nonetheless. Well, yeah, well, that's good news. Plus, you know, you got to indulge in your second life. Uh, you know, away from this, being a being a podcast co presenter slash presenter occasionally, you're also a punk rocker like in the like in the seventies. Not not like that. Yeah. Uh, Less of the sort of trousers with zips coming off them and, and brightly coloured hair and stuff. But yeah, you know. Any safety pins still? Do they still have those? Oh yeah, they're still about. There was a guy at the show yesterday um, with one red, one red trouser leg and one black trouser leg and he looked like Freddy Krueger. Fantastic. Well, look, you know. It wasn't. Th- things things change, right? Don't they? But but you know, there's always, always the influences stay there. You know, I just miss the people that judge and giant safety pins. I say miss. I, obviously, I'm too young to have witnessed it myself. But um, 
Oh, they're, they're still about. They're still about. If you go to the punk festivals where the, the older guys go to, uh, and obviously older women as well, uh, a lot less of them, but... Uh, and you'll see like a, a Sex Pistols t-shirt that's just been taken out of the packet and still has the creases in it and then <laughs> hair that they've just dyed pink yesterday and yeah, yeah that kind of stuff. <laughs> You're sounding a little bit cynical there. Um, but, you know, talking of cynical people, actually isn't in any way cynical. Well, depends how much he's had to drink. It's Chris Clark. Hello, Chris. Hello, comrade. How are you doing? Right, you, you did the thing that I told you not to do, didn't you there? But, um, oh, did I'm, I? Sorry. I'm going to gloss over it and not draw any attention yeah. to it. I'm just okay. not going to have you on the show again. That's the main <laughs> thing there. So enjoy okay. your Sorry last show. That. Enjoy your last show. Um, okay, understood. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, so how have you been? Uh, actually, not too cynical. Um, got up at a earth-spankingly early eighth day of recording. Um, and on the day of the match, which is a while ago, on Saturday, um, we had a super time um, on the train down, enjoying cans of tribute, enjoyed some local beers in local pubs, and even had some nice conversations with locals who weren't bitter about the fact that we, um, of course, spoiler alert, sent them down. Um, and they genuinely weren't. They actually were really friendly all day. Um, I was expecting a bit of hostility with my English accent in Cardiff, but didn't get any of it all day. It was great. Right, well, that was good to hear from from Chris there, I really enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> that's the whole panel. Uh, <laughs> can you tell there was a small break? <laughs> I was trying to get back in like it, like there was no break. That was good, wasn't it? Smooth. Anyway, let's get on to our first topic. And, you know, obviously we talked about this last week um, and it was a topic that was very much on everybody's minds going into the game. How we were all saying, ah, oh, it'd be great to lose this and Cardiff relegate Brighton. And I've got to ask the question of all of you gentlemen. Just how soon was it into the match that you decided that actually you'd be extremely happy to relegate Cardiff? It was it was before the game started because the the damage had already been done last week when Cardiff lost to lost to Fulham. Um, I mean, if 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 you can't, I mean, I know Fulham have been in really decent form recently um, when the shackles have been off and the stress has been away from them, but um, that that Cardiff not even picking up a point there was the end of it. So went into the game just wanting us to play as well as possible and make up for the fact that we we didn't break them down in the home le- in the home game earlier in the season which was one of the more frustrating games I've watched this season. I think for me it was a little bit when I was sent the wrong way for two miles um, and I got over that it was uh, definitely after the game started just after the fans were awful. I mean there was no atmosphere there. I mean all the atmosphere was coming from us. I don't know if, if Chris would agree but it really felt like it didn't feel like a team that are fighting for their life in terms of the atmosphere and it, I was pretty disappointed by that. I definitely agree with you Sai that the atmosphere was appalling. Um there was a moment quite early on where they started booing Wilf and that was the thing that uh, tipped me and a number of us over the edge. Um especially he had a shot that hit the side netting. Um and that was yeah, they laughed, they um, mocked him. And actually, we all know that's the biggest mistake you can make with Wilf is to rile him up because 30 seconds later, he'd put that ball in the back of the net um, and we were all dancing up and down. Um, the the away fans right next to us, to the section that I was stood in, um, were giving us needle, but they were the only people who were doing anything for the vast majority of the game. And it sounded actually like they had a tape-recorded drum. I don't know if there was a real drummer in there. I couldn't see any evidence of it. Um, yeah, their atmosphere was shocking. Um, in the end, uh, I think Brighton saved themselves by beating us twice is the sad truth. And I was eventually reluctantly willing to relegate them, although I'm still sad to have seen Warnock go down and it was nice to sing for him later in the game. I think it'd be interesting to know how Sellers would be in that situation because they basically went to the game knowing that they were down. And that's not going to be a nice feeling. I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people would get up for that. Um, so I, I kind of understand if it was a muted thing, really. And and I saw the clapping after the game um, and I was quite impressed with it. Um, obviously, I wasn't there and I don't know how much they wound you up, but um, I, w- I was impressed that they were still chanting Warnock's name and stuff because I'm not sure I'd have been. Yeah, it was really noticeable that the, the noise level sort of upped when we pretty much killed the game with, with Andros's goal. Um it's almost like the, even though it was such a remote hope, that level, that little bit of hope just caused so much tension in the crowd that they just, it's, and I've, I've been like that in the crowd before when it's so tense, you just don't, you don't really know what to do. Um, the first time I can remember being like that was 
the playoff final where where Shipley scored, and I was I was actually missed out on tickets. I was queued up at Sellers and couldn't get tickets. It was before the loyalty points thing, where <coughs> excuse me, before the loyalty points thing, where you know generally speaking, I can get a ticket these days. But um, you know, I was gutted to miss out. I ended up watching it around a friend's house. I was the only Palace fan in the room, and, and Shipley puts the ball in the net. I just I couldn't celebrate. I just couldn't move didn't really know what to do but um so attention does funny things to people and i do think that their crowd are usually pretty good um at least at the very the very least they're they're loud and complaining about every decision um but it did seem to affect them so so i actually got hit over a chair that game by a west ham firm (laughs) Uh, i got hit over the head fairly hard yeah i'm not i'm not ever gonna forget it and i've not spoke to him again since it seems um seems a little bit unfair it wasn't you didn't score the goal, did you? So, I mean, I, I just celebrated, um, but yeah, it was it was it was fairly hard, um, and I felt it was an overreaction. <laughs> I mean, you were surely allowed to celebrate your team scoring a goal, but um, hey, you know, West Ham fans are a, a funny breed, aren't they? Uh, but back on the topic, um, we did actually do a poll before the game on our Twitter feed where. Sixty-four percent of the votes um, actually wanted to relegate Brighton over over um you know beating Cardiff I do think that second the second Wilf was booed that that would have been a considerably different set of results but um, I just thought it was an interesting thing um, you know it is frustrating as was mentioned we gave gave Brighton six points this year ultimately over the course of a season that they they did enough you know Cardiff I think you know we talk about Warnock and the reason he's getting such a reception from the Cardiff crowd and the reason he's still held in a decent regard by a large proportion of Palace fans is he's done absolutely wonders. He did a w- wonderful job to get them promoted with the squad that they had and with the sort of the additions that they've made. Even then, that that is not a Premier League squad. And I think we were we were we were good in this game, but we weren't at full pelt for the whole ninety minutes. And I think realistically, if we were, we would have could have been a cricket score. They're, they're not a good team. That's a couple of good points there. I think, first of all, everyone still kind of has a soft spot for Warnock because of his sort of post-match interviews. And my accents are terrible, but it was just like, oh, now, come on, lads. We, we've we done well throughout the season. you got to smile. And he was still he was still laughing and smiling, which would probably piss me off if I was a Cardiff fan, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but the other main thing, I think what the Premier League's shown this season is that you can be a team at the lower end of the table. But if you've got someone to finish, you'll do all right. And they do not have that. No, I think, I think you're right, Mike, that they lacked anything up, anything up front. I still like not Warnock from when I was a steward at Palace. He, he was genuinely one of the nicest people I've met. Spoke to literally everyone. I'm still horrified that I saw him in his pants. But other than that, I'm, uh, I think Whoa. he... Whoa. I know, I know, I know. Unbelievable. He, he just came out of the changing room and went, there's no, there's no effing hot water in here. And I thought, oh, I was like, oh, no, I need to turn away from this. This is, this is horrific, absolutely horrific. But um, claim to fame there, seeing one up in his pants, for sure. Was it, but, yeah. was it like an eclipse where you know you shouldn't look, but you can't look away? I couldn't turn away, no. I 100% couldn't turn away. I was just staring. I was literally just staring. Did you see the silhouette of little Neil? <laughs> you know what? I can't, it, it was about 11 years ago so I can't remember now but that but that, that was a 12 years ago that was a shocking experience for me that was I, I that, tell you but no they, they, they lacked any teeth yeah that'll be what lacked any teeth no right let's move, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on from, from that and the bits of that that you've clearly blocked out of your mind um, <laughs> through trauma um, so the ne- next thing I wanted to get talking about um, and you can tell the the job I hold in in middle management is affecting me because I've done a, a a rag which is a red amber green on the Palace squad in terms of age contracts um, and likelihood that, that they'll stay and I'll, I'll get into that in a minute and not in too much detail otherwise you know I would understand probably about ninety five percent of the podcast listeners would switch off um, and the five percent would have a lovely time but it's not about the five percent sorry guys. Um, that'll just be, and I, and I am in that five percent. But the the story on the BBC, it's a repeat of um, some some statistics that came out earlier in the year. But um, it's about Palace having the highest turnover to wages in the Premier League, which is seventy eight percent. And it's really to get into the discussion that player wages and ages and contracts really do need to be addressed, and just how dangerous that could be in this upcoming summer. 
Yeah, this is a this is a tough one because the notes you've made are incredible, but via the medium of podcast, it's uh, it's fairly hard to sort of pass them over to the listening public, isn't it? Um, it is, but I've got a plan. I've got. Don't okay. worry, I've got a plan. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I did. I do remember this story from a few months ago, but it, it was pretty eye-watering reading because you got Spurs on thirty-nine percent of their total revenue um, for wages, and us on seventy-eight, so literally double. Um, and it puts us uh, in terms of uh, value of the club below. I mean, this is this is last year's team, so obviously things have changed immensely, but um, puts us considerably below Brighton because of their wages at the time. And what it also showed was that the teams that had been in the Premier League slightly longer um, tended to be drifting further and further towards the bottom of the table. Yeah, for sure. And it, and it just emphasises that point around the infrastructure that we have, you know, how how long you stay in the Premier League. If you're unable to to grow with that and we're talking about off the pitch uh, capacity of the ground which we're trying to address clearly but also the commercial revenue that's available and that can be affected by the fact that we do have you know one of the older stadiums and it's doesn't have the sort of prestige and the commercial facilities as much as we might find the commercial side of the game a little bit distasteful at times um, to say the least it's clearly what what pays the wages and that's getting more and more difficult for us to control the longer we're in the league. So we, we have hit a point, uh, which I'll go through in a minute, about what I, roughly what I think, where we could potentially be in a bit of trouble and we've got some serious, serious work to do this summer. I think you're right, Chris. We have got some serious work to do. I think the ground, as soon as we can start getting the work done on the ground, you know, that, that's vital to us to be able to increase the revenue. I mean, I've seen that, I mean, I know it's a completely different scale, but I've seen that Spurs earn more on one match day from... Um, sort of like ticket sales and now and, and sort of entertainment and, and other things and sort of drink then then like a whole season of season tickets it's, it's ridiculous so the quicker we can get the ground started then you know, that'll be key I also want to point out that how good this list is and you even got Hennessy down as the hen and that just made me chuckle when I saw that so it's a proper good list there Chris absolutely and I want to join um, Sai in particular in saying Chris this is a really useful piece of work and the analysis you've done is really helpful it sounds like an end of year review um, showing my management role as well. Um, but um, <laughs> genuinely, actually, when, when you look at this, I, I think there's there's horrifying reading here because the people who are in, let's call it the green zone, um, i.e., you know, we can afford them, are the people mostly who people moan about the most. So, you know, I'm sure you're going to talk about the um, people we love uh, being mostly the ones who drag us heavily into that red zone in terms of um, the viability of keeping them. Um, But yeah, there's some really scary names there in the green because they're not people who people are going to be happy to see us keep, in my opinion, if they're the priority. For sure. For sure. And, um, you know, again, as Mike has pointed out, you know, it is a challenge to communicate this on a podcast. I might well tweet it at some point. Um, to back it up so you can refer to it. But to, to give you a little bit of clue of what I've done, and we'll start with the Greens. So the Greens clearly um, are the players who I think we will keep, are under contract, are of a good age. Um, although there are, again, as, you, as we go through them, there are issues with those players as well. So to give you a clue of the Greens, so this is the ones that we can look at next season, be pretty secure that they're going to be selectable in the squad um, that they're probably going to be, the majority will be able to be in the team and compete, but not, but not all. Um, but this is this is our safe zone, if you like. So that's Van Arnholt, Mayer, Townsend, Schlupp, Wickham, Wan Visaka, Riedervald, and Serlot. Okay, so that's the players in the list that I, I would categorically say we have a degree of certainty over that they would be young enough, cheap enough. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, they are part of the first-team squad now and you would expect them to be part of the first-team squad next year. So we'll go straight to the Reds. So the Reds are the danger players and there are a variety of reasons for that. I've, I've gone for age, uh, time left on contract, and I've also gone with comments they've made relating to their future at the club as well. So I'll let you in on those. So Spironi, obviously 40 on the 18th of May and strong suggestions it's his last season at Palace. Uh, Luka Milivojevic is the, sh- the shock in there. One year left on his deal. Currently no sign of another deal. Um, 28 years old, prime of his career. You would um, 
yeah, very, very dodgy situation. He, you don't want that contract to run down because he's a, he's an excellent player, commands a value while he has a contract, and it's an extreme risk to us right now. Scott Dan, 32, not long to be 33. Um, actually really has surprised me in the last couple of games after I wrote him off. So still a decent player, but not sure how long is left on his deal. And he, he's getting to an age now where you have to look to replace. Wilfred Zaha, you can't talk too much about that other than the fact that he's 26. Talked about one in Champions League football. Yes, value-wise and contract-wise. We've got contract is pretty secure. Value is pretty secure. But ultimately, if, if he wants to go, it's probably the peak time that we could sell him. Um, and, and the club would have to consider that. Mama Sacco have also got in the red um, after he's made several comments, one at the start of the season, one recently, about perhaps now is the time for him to leave. And, of course, he's 29 as well, which means, again, value. And um, I don't know how long he's got his contract, maybe a couple of years, I'm not sure. Um, so there's a definite danger there. Benteke going into his last year, 28 years old. Again, it, it's a tough one to call, isn't it? We'd, I'm sure we'd like him to stay, but probably not at the... 100 odd grand a week he's on right now. Um, it's certainly something we'd look to reduce. Uh, Bakary Sacco, you'd expect to go at the end of the year, 31 years old, barely played. Um, surely just a short term little option there in January. Pap Suarez, 28, last year of his deal. And of course, um, yeah, you, you, not, it's just not been in and around the squad at all. Um, Ryan Ennis will more than likely 23, but he'll be let go at the end of the year. And Jason Punchin, 32, coming up 33, also will be let let go at the end of the year, you would expect. So there's a whole host of players there. Some we won't want to lose, but some undoubtedly we will. And that's pretty scary. But then when you look at the ones that I've put as, as Amber, um, and these are mostly to do with the, their age, and the, the level they're at now, and, and how we see them as an asset. You've got Joel Ward, 29, James Tompkins, 30, Jake Coyote, 29, The Hen, 32, Maka, 31, Guaita, 32, Kelly, 29. So that's our squad. You know, we're, um, we've got to do something about that. Now, you can't do it all in one one summer. Um, but basically, looking at that, the secure players we've got, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, in my view. Um, backed up by a handful of people edging towards 30 or just past it. And the rest are, are, are really at risk. So hopefully I've terrified you. The interesting thing about some of those players who you've put in that green box, Chris, is that you've got players who either the fans, frankly, are not trusting or even Roy isn't trusting at the moment. So Van Onholt, um hasn't set the world alight lately. Meyer, um, though I really like him, uh, hasn't had a huge amount of trust from Roy. Townsend actually, I mean, you know, he, I think if there was any doubt about him, and I don't think there should have been, um, there can't be now. But then Jeffrey Schlapp speaks for itself. Connor Wickham made of glass and barely plays. Uh, Riederwald, you know, clearly Roy doesn't fancy him. He's barely played all year. And Sorloth is off on loan. So there's not a huge number of uh, fanciable players there. Uh, for want of a better way of looking at it, I think I think possibly putting Guaiter in as um, Amber. I mean, a goalkeeper can tend to go a bit longer, so I would hope that that's less of a concern. Yep. But um, the others, I think you're absolutely bang on with a, a huge number of those concerns. And you know, I just hope that there is a plan to start addressing this because it's got to happen. I think you're right, Chris. I mean, we, we have we have built a team. For, for me, the biggest one, the biggest risk is is Zaha. I think it was Robbie Savage said on 606 about six months ago that he doesn't know a team in world football. He got a bit of stick of it, but he said he doesn't know a team in world football where one player is so important to a team other than Barcelona and Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo and Juventus because Wilf to us is key. I, I don't fear relegation if Wilf's in the team. And I don't think he'll leave. I think we'll do enough to be able to keep him. I know a lot of people think he's coming with some of the comments he's made, but I think he'll stay. I've got a feeling Wan-Bissaka won't, though. And, and it's just about how do we reinvest the however much money we can get for him back into buying younger, probably more championship-based potential players. Getting back to the uh, wages issue, though, this is the fact that we're 78% of our revenue in wages. Um, I mean, I can see why... Um, You've marked Wan-Bissaka as green in that he's on 15 grand a year. Um, but if if the wages have got to go down, and I, I really think they do have to, you're basically talking about Benteke, uh, Mamasako and Sahar being 
serious earners. And I, I think if I remember, Dan's on, on a pretty high wage as well. Um, so yeah. in order to keep Zaha, you'd, you'd basically be talking about maybe Benteke and Sacco going. Um, you know, those are the ones that are on six-figure salaries. Um, so you're talking about either serious rebuilding or the worry at the start of next season that we, we won't have, again, the squad's strength that we had at the end of the previous season, which people, you know, we were talking about with Kabai and Loftus-Cheek not being there. We started off on a, a, a weaker foot this season. Could be doing it again next season. And there'd be people arguing that Benteke going wouldn't be a massive problem. Um, but if he's got one year left on his contract, um, we're already not going to get anything like the kind of money that we paid for him. Um, on top of that, his form. Um, you know, th- this could be... I, I would have thought Parrish is having nightmares at the moment. It's, def- it's definitely an eye-opener. I didn't quite expect it to be quite as worrying as it was when I put it all together. But um, but there's, a, you know, there's perhaps three players that aren't on there that have been in, in and around the squad in a, in a sort of from a youth capacity. I mean, Sam Woods came off the bench in one game as a centre-back, so arguably he's a potential option for the squad. Naya Kirby's done really well at Blackpool after a slow start and a very good reputation. And uh, Luke Dreyer has... has, has Coming back to fitness, been playing a lot with the uh, training a lot. Sorry, with the, with the first team, you know he he's a player with huge potential if we can keep him fit. So there are you know a handful of options in the academy there that might start pushing this you know for, for next year maybe a you know a game here and there. But realistically, it's a, it's an incredibly dangerous time for any club when they have to rebuild. You know when the big clubs have to do it, it's dangerous for them. You know because they can. They can suddenly stop being competitive right at the top of the table because they just have to have that circulation of players. You build a team, you build a squad, but you know time marches on. You know you wish time could stand still at times with the squads that you get, and we finally got to a point where we've got a really good Premier League squad, and all of a sudden you think, oh my god, right, okay, we're actually going to have to do some pretty major surgery on it. And, and there's no doubt that the, the top earners in, in well, certainly Benteke and Sacco um, are you know are players that if you move them out it gives you a lot more freedom with the salary, but at the same time, you've got to replace them. We've seen how important Sacco's been for us. Um, one of the best centre-backs, if not the best centre-back we've seen in a, in a long, long while, perhaps ever for, for most people who are watching Palace at the moment. Um, yeah, you know, I, again, let's, let's not dwell too much on it, but it, it's all there in red, amber and green for us to look at. And um, I'm we go into this summer where whatever money we've got to spend, However, it happens. Uh, you, we've got to get more decisions right than wrong to um, to really have any chance of. It's not only really kicking on, but really just staying the same next season. Just want to scare everyone and ask: Say Hodgson was to walk away, um, you then wouldn't necessarily have the sort of safe pair of hands as people describe him uh, overseeing this as well. So that could be a big mess. Mike, you're spot on. I was just about to say that. I was going to say for all those people, and I done it at times as well after a really bad game that have called for Roy Hodgson's head. I think if we lose the number of players that we might do this season because of wages and ambition of the players, then we need Roy there to see us through the next season at least because it's going to be a difficult one listening and looking at that list. So I definitely think we need to keep Roy. And I know DR's going to hate me for that, but I'll just give him a Dr Pepper and he'll be all right. <laughs> exactly. And that takes us nicely into the third topic um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a bit of an introduction on, on what I've put together. So, you know, Maka uh, was interviewed this week and he referred to Roy as a brilliant man. And obviously, all the pundits talking about that we're so lucky to have Roy and what a great job he's done. You know, so I kind of asked the question, why have we spent most of this season frustrated? And we have, you know, m- myself in particular earlier on in this season, I said, we need to change. Roy isn't the man who's going to change. He's going to be stuck in his ways and it frustrates me. Um but I'm asking a question, does our strong end of the season change anybody's opinion? It's it's, it's made me feel different about things. Um, and we also are going to just read a comment in from Luis Garcia, not that one, um, who's also said, um, seen tweets going around saying this could, this could be our best finish ever and complaining about, um, complaining about the Roy haters. But does that get dropped because of the finish? Or are we looking at a potential better finish if we'd been more experimental or adventurous as we were against Cardiff. Well, let's get to Macca's point first, because you got. To, I don't want to get all Simon Jordan on this, but you got to remember he's an employee of the club. Um, so first of all, he's obviously going to be saying that kind of thing. But but secondly, if 
Hodgson is a manager in the same way as a manager in any office um, has a kind of structured approach to things where he'll tell everyone exactly what they want to do, maybe micromanage them, that kind of thing. And Mac is the kind of person that responds to that, which he clearly is because he's been thriving under him. He obviously is going to say he's great. At the same time, other people that don't work that way and like their own freedom, maybe won't be so impressed with him. So um, I think that's that's one person's opinion. Um, the other players, if they were to speak frankly a couple of years after he left, you know, might say that they're not so keen on him. And if you ask Jairo Riedeveld, he probably wouldn't have that much of a great thing to say about him. Um, so I can see exactly why um, he said that. And, and you know, to call him a brilliant man, um, it was he was called that plenty of times by Fulham fans. Um, you know, uh, Murphy on Match of the Day always goes on about what, what a great manager he was, you know, the best manager he's ever worked under and that kind of thing. And he hasn't lasted for 40 odd years without being very good at his job. Um, so I'd like to sort of, totally cut that off from talking about potential better finishes and experimentalism because I think we discussed it on the last pod that um, you know it might only take a 10% difference in uh, playing for us to be up you know pushing for seventh pushing for Europe um, but I don't really think that I would have expected any more from him at the start of the season than what he's done No um, I think the point goes back to and it's always a tricky point. And again, we've visited many times this season. It's sometimes not for fans. It, a lot of the time, it's about how as much as it is about the results. You know how you're getting the results. And I think when you when you're in a spell when you happen to have a run of tough games or you happen to have a very poor home record, which we do. And I did see a couple of tweets about this um, this week where. The home record was examined, and it's it's a shade under a point per game, which over the course of a season would actually keep would have kept us in the league. So people are asking, is it actually that bad a record? And for me, it's not just a it's just the the sheer opposite of our away record, um, and that that's why I struggle with it. And that's why we've struggled it so much this season. You, you look at, I think it was even said on, on probably on match of the day or something like that that. Or was it, it was maybe in an interview by uh, a manager this week where they said, your, your home record, I think it might have been Eddie Howe, actually, your home record is the, the bedrock of your season. <laughs> and it hasn't been that way for us for a while. Um, and it really should be. And, and you can't help but think the what if. What if our home record was just decent and you look at how we play away, we would be very, very comfortable in the table. But you're right when you, when you say, Mike, could we have expected any more? No. And certainly the points, the result. You know, recent results, where we are in the table, has completely placated me in the last few weeks, and you know that's that's the life of being a, a Palace supporter, I guess. I think you're right, Chris. I mean, I, I did some analysis the other day. Didn't have much to do. I've got any friends, and I looked at since 1992, <laughs> since I started going to Palace, I've looked at where have we finished every season, average points, average goals, um, conceded average goals for as well, and. Most of our we're bang on average points, really, and, and nearly bang on average goals. Slightly down on four, but bang on, and slightly better than sort of against. So, we, you know, it's not been a bad season. But also, in the most majority of my seasons as a Palace fan, we've been lower Championship or lower Division One. You know, when it was when it was Division One, and actually, we're lower Premier League now. And I, I think actually we've got to be grateful for that because you know we're in our seventh season now, and I know it's sometimes it's boring with with no high end drama of relegation or or FA Cup finals, but. I'd rather be where we are now than those, you know, two thousands where we were just down in the championship, every, you know, lower half every season without anything to play for. I really don't think we're that far off. It's really interesting. Um, I was, I say interesting, and then I'm about to unleash a load of stats. Um, so, like Sai, I got I got my pen out earlier and just went through a load of stuff on whoscored.com, and there's. A, an absolute mine of information that enables you to, you know, prove probably anything you want, to be honest, because you can use numbers for any purpose. But in this case, what I did was I just had a look at uh, the teams above us. You know, they, these are the teams who, you know, people who are saying we've underachieved with the squad we've got would be saying, I presume, that we should have finished above West Ham, Watford, Leicester, Everton and Wolves. And in terms of the number of goals that those teams have scored, yes, we've scored um, fewer goals than any of those teams looking at it. On the other hand, we have had more shots per goal than three of them. Um, and 
less than, I think, two. So, you know, we're, we're right in the middle of that little group. And I think the point is that actually you can link these things up. Possession-wise, we're a bit lower. In fact, we're the lowest of all of those teams, and that, that's a product of how we play. Our passing completion is the second lowest of the group. And aerial battles, interestingly, we're the second worst of the group. But our rating is actually higher. It's the second highest of all of them in terms of overall quality. So you can prove that goes to show you can prove anything you want with statistics. Um, but on the other hand, you know what, what I would focus on in terms of that is you know simply could we hook this up and make this work better? Could we be the lucky team that jams into seventh at some point with this manager and this team? Yes, I think we could. I think in many ways you can look at the Cardiff game as a bit of a, a, a microcosm, if I may, um, of what's been discussed over the last few weeks because Cardiff go into that game. So, we, you know, we've witnessed Cardiff come to Sellers Park, play for a point, get a point, couldn't break them down. Clearly in the home game they've had to, and, and within the circumstances, a win is all, all that matters to them. So they've really had to open up and, and, and to counter that, you know, Roy's gone with a very attacking side. You know, at times we're four-two-four in that game, and it's kind of the team that we've almost been screaming out for, barring a, a couple of injuries and a couple of selections here and there. But in terms of a system, you know, we've we've allowed Townsend and Zaha in the wide positions and played two strikers, which people have wanted to see. Now, you can argue that Roy has correctly assessed that the opposition weren't strong enough to outscore us, um, and we could play that way. But realistically, if you look at how Cardiff played against us, they were they were too open. You know, they would have been better off. And I think maybe the first half they were probably a little bit too reserved, um, didn't didn't close us down enough. But if they just played that little bit more energy in the first half, we could have been a bit more bothered than we were. But second half they were just so open and gave us so much space that we could sort of pick them off as and when we liked. And you know, we would probably could sort of feel a bit bad about only scoring three really so I think that that's almost shows you what the worry that Roy has over opening up and being a bit more expressive and a bit more expansive so the argument for me is always as, as I pointed out last week is that the only way to think about it you know does does turning that dial a little bit further up taking a few more risks here and there does that automatically mean you will lose games that you might get a draw in because that's that's the problem at home that's what we've got to decide how are we going to break teams down certainly and looking at that list from earlier how are we going to break teams down when we have maybe haven't got the players that we have this season there's a really interesting post-match interview with um townsend on uh, on palace tv and he said that they literally did choose to play that way based on the on the home game so, I mean, that suggests to me that um, Hodgson's told them this is why we're going that way. You know, he's repeating what, what Hodgson's told him um, and that he's learnt his lessons from, from that game. Um, so, if they were the other way around um, and the away game had been first, would it have still been four points? Um, it's, it's hard to yeah, say. Def- but that, yeah, you're right. That, that was a very interesting comment. And you do get that little window into what's been discussed. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We, you, you know, it's a lot of what-ifs. You can never... You can't prove a negative, really, can you? If you don't do something, you can't prove that the opposite would have been better. It, it's really, it's gonna. It's that's why we sit here and we debate it all the time, you know. And I, but I will continue to hold the opinion that Roy should have trusted the players more this season, particularly at home. I just should have backed them to go to go and actually outplay the opposition rather than keeping them so compact and reserved all the time. And I happen to think that we would have got better results and a better overall home points total. I have very little problem with how we played away from home, uh, as anyone shouldn't. So but there you go. You get that. That's that's Roy. That's the consistency. And arguably, <laughs> he knows a lot, a lot better than we do. Um, but there we go. Let's let's move on from that and get, get into anything from the, uh, the match we haven't actually talked about already. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So in terms of selection, Wardy was back in at left back. Thought Maka had a really good game. Um, Coyote and Maya were sort of out as Roy puts in Ayu and plays that that 4-4-2 slash 4-2-4. And it it certainly worked. Um, You know, Wilfred Zaha, I can say this now, according, it's according to whoscored.com, did not get fouled all game. So that's perhaps an example of him having a lot more space than he's used to. Andros Townsend, I thought, was exceptional. Again, had much more space than he's used to. And I thought we saw a tremendous effort from Jordan Ayew. Um, much maligned as a footballer throughout the course of this season. But his, his work rate and his quality at times, and particularly the little ball, even though it got deflection as he put it through the defender's legs, uh, the ball through for Batshuayi's goal was excellent. Really impressed with him. I think you're right, Chris. I, th- I, th- I think t- I think Ayu was brilliant yesterday, or Saturday even, the time in the podcast. Yeah, he was brilliant on Saturday. And I, I think for four million pounds is the rumour that we could sign him for. I'd snap him up immediately. He's definitely worth that. You, you can't really buy anyone for that these days. His, his effort was there. He just, I think he just lacks that, that not when to pass and when to shoot. I don't think there's anything he could work on. But other than that, I thought it was really good. And I think Townsend was brilliant. I've seen some stats from uh, our New York correspondent, Patrick, on our WhatsApp group, which say, actually, he hasn't really done that much better than Boas in his time here. But I think the stats are misleading because his all-round game for Palace, his defensive play, and, and the amount of distance he ran for his final goal, akin to the West Brom goal he sort of scored a couple of seasons ago. I think he's, he's a very, very good player and doesn't often get the credit he deserves. Just to go back to IE, um, I think possibly Hodgson's time for showing if the rumours are correct that he wanted him as his first signing in the uh, in the off season uh, was running out, so he kind of had to had to show him, and and it was a, quite a gamble, and I think it played off. So if he plays him again against Bournemouth, that to me suggests that the rumours are true, and and they will push for him for four million. Um, uh, you'd imagine he's on fairly low wages, so with the with the whole wage structure, that's that's not the worst thing. I wouldn't have thought. Given the changes that we need to make in terms of the balance of the team uh, financially, yeah, absolutely, that makes complete sense. Also, I, I would say that in terms of giving us an option in terms of central midfield attacking play, he he's something that we don't have much in the way of other options in pursuing. The the reason there's so much negativity about IU is because he was played out of position as a striker at the start of this season and that's not the role that he's not used to play it's not a role that he's designed to play really I would say you know he's just not built for that that type of role and I think we saw him at his best yesterday and I think he'll definitely be a positive addition to the mix for our team for next season if he does sign permanently he definitely plays better with with someone up alongside him, and it was a really interesting combination him and Batch. Who I, you know, I think IU seem to be, you know, I think Mike's probably spot on when he talks about the, the motivation to play so well. You know, he's got a point to prove. Coming to the end of his spell, he won't want to stay at, at Swansea in the Championship. He'll want his chance in the Premier League. You know, clearly we, you know, Roy sees something in him, uh, and we've seen a lot, a lot from him. Just in not probably not in enough games. Um, you talk about him, you know, playing. He's yet yeah, not a target man at all. Uh, although he had a couple of good games in that role. You're right. It's it's not his strength. Um, but for, again, for the rumored money, and looking at what we talked about earlier in terms of the the squad surgery, seems potentially a bit of a no brainer if we can bring him in uh, on a full time basis. But he's uh, obviously not going to pull up trees and. and give the kind of progression that people will be wanting and whether or not anything will uh, in the circumstances we're in, I'm not so sure. But I don't want to get sort of dragged down in the negatives. Another player who really stood out for me on the opposition uh, this time was uh, Bobby Reed or Bobby, Bobby D. Cordova Reed, as he's also known. Uh, very, very good player. Very tidy, um, quick, 
can see a pass very, very well. Great finish for their second goal. Really impressed with him. Someone I would very much like us to uh, to take a closer look at. I think maybe one or two others will be looking at him, but be impressed. Yeah, I, I assumed you did put him in the show rotor because you were coveting him. Uh, he looked decent. Uh, as I, I thought for a while that you know J- Junior Hoylet wouldn't be the worst person on a, on a on a low on a low transfer fee either. And is it that uh, Bacunya as well? Yeah, yeah, uh, I've bad. been pretty impressed with. Um, I, I don't doubt that their team is going to be absolutely desecrated now they're going down. Um, and I think they do represent probably more bargain end stuff than um, than Fulham signings are, are going to be. Um, and when there was rumours about there being eight or ten championship players that um, Dougie Friedman was looking at, could be that he'd already decided that Cardiff were a championship team. So maybe they're included. <laughs> could be, could be. Um... I also thought maybe about signing Zahar of Zahar goes because he's like, he's almost like the evil Zahar with just with that name. That's it. Zahar. Zahar. Anyway, I'll move on. Strong, strong reasoning. I mean, it's, it's not the best reason to sign a player. <laughs> it goes back to the days where my mate signed uh, Nigel Salt and, Salt and someone else Pepper to play on either wing, just so he had Salt and Pepper on the wing uh, in his, in his football manager team. Anyway, um, did, did it work? No, terrible players, absolutely terrible. Um, okay. So, um, next point for me is I think Wilf has been is finishing the season very, very strongly. He's actually had a strong campaign. Got criticism weirdly from a lot of people more than I would have thought. I mean, obviously he's universally loved, but there's a there's a handful out there who think he's too greedy, doesn't release the ball early enough, and dare I say, there's a handful in our in our are mixed, who call him overrated, which for me is absolute insanity. Um, and it's the whole you don't know what you've got till it's gone thing. But really impressed with him. And again, in this game, great goal. You know, he hasn't scored that many like that throughout his career, um, but they seem to be cropping up more often and he's much more of a threat really coming into his prime. The kind of people that would say that are the kind of people that have the perfect girlfriend, boyfriend, and make up some tiny little reason to get rid of them, dump them, and then regret it immediately afterwards. He was absolutely immense. Um, and and how he wasn't given uh, Man of the Match, I've got no idea. Because I, I don't think anything... I, there's no way that we would have won that game as easily as we did. I mean, I know it was a one-goal difference, but you know, no one was worried they were going to get a third. He was absolutely awesome. And obviously... I. The fact that they didn't foul him, it wasn't just about Cardiff tactics because, you know, Warnock would have tried. Um, he was, he, he might be out there shop windowing himself as well and showing exactly what it, it is to watch Zahar when he's properly on form. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, hope hoping it's not just the shop window that's motivated him, but it's, yeah, he's a joy to watch when he's in that form. Um, and I just can't be, he couldn't be happier with the amount of goals he's starting to put away. You just think every at the end of every season, I just think one more year, one more year, and I've got this lovely image in my head of a thirty-five-year-old Zaha, and we're going just, just one more year, Wolf. Come on, mate. And uh, but we'll we'll see if that ever happens. So that was it. It was a very strong first goal, and you've got to say majority of that was Wolf's work. A nice little ball in from from wide to him, um, but it's all about his feet and his um, just just a clinical finish. Again, you know, he didn't. Sometimes in the past he would have hit that with way too much power, would have gone high and wide, but just drilled it back across the keeper into the bottom corner. Lovely finish. You say it's all about his feet. It's also all about the haircut. <laughs> and I, I was thinking to myself uh, the other day, who actually got the haircut first with the little colour bit in it? Was it him or was it Missy? Because there are now about 378 Premier League players <laughs> with that exact haircut. So... If he had copyrighted it, he doesn't even need to play anymore because he can just get image rights for that. <laughs> it is nice, and as someone who has hair envy of pretty much everybody, um, you know, it's, I find it deeply upsetting at the same time as well. But anyway, look, we're, we're one new up, and Martin Kelly clearly goes through his mind just how much he hates Brighton because it's a, it's a lovely little finish past the advancing keeper, um, but wrong end, Martin. So, so cheers for that, and, uh, and it's one one. That was hilarious. I mean, just the songs we were singing about how much Martin Kelly hates Brighton and wanting to send Brighton down. It, it was fantastic. And then we were singing, uh, shall we score a goal for you for uh, you know the rest of the game? It was, it was hilarious. And actually, every time the ball went near 
our own goal we were saying shoot you know and hoping that Martin Kelly gets a hat trick just to send Brighton down but uh, unfortunately it wasn't to be yeah it was, it was great fun in the ground um but I mean talking about Kelly I mean obviously he has come into the team from having not played all that much for quite a while and has looked mostly solid although I think he scored the last two own goals um, that Palace have conceded. This one, interestingly, match of the day, we're trying to make out that it was Guaita's fault um, for not calling or that he did he shouldn't have come out to try and capture that ball. But as far as I could see, you know, he was definitely going to get there if Kelly hadn't jumped in. So, you know, I mean, I think, unfortunately, it really is quite an elementary mistake, although, you know, in the end, we won the game comfortably, so... Yeah, we can kind of move on quickly from that, but it was a bad mistake. Yeah, I, I, I noticed. Um, well, it wasn't. Wasn't. I don't think it was just match. There was a few that um, that called into question Guaita's positioning on that. But um, you know, I don't want to be seen to make excuses for him. It's a. It's a. It's a ball into a very good area. Let's let's face that because it's right in that mo- that you can see both Kelly wants to go for it and Guaita wants to go for it, which tells you that the ball is in a good area because you have that that almost perfect storm of indecision. So you have the fact that, yes, if Guaita stays on his line, you know, Kelly ends up side-footing it back to him. But you really, I think if you, the cold light of day, what, what's Kelly trying to do there um, is the question. And if the answer is anything other than pop the ball in the back of the net, then, um, you know, you have to say the mistake is Martin Kelly's, um, not not Vincente Guaita's. But, Hey, it did. It didn't matter in the end. So, as you say, let's let's move on from that. Our second goal was a thing of beauty, and there was a few little moments like this where we played some really incisive first time passing. The diving header from Batshuayi slightly later was uh, was also fantastic. But the best thing about the uh, the finish as the ball goes through uh, the defender's legs from Ayu and heads its way towards Mich- Michi Batshuayi. Andros Townsend is already celebrating. I mean, I've written in the, in the notes here, it was 30 seconds. It's probably two or three seconds, but I love the fact he's actually got his arms in the air celebrating a goal before it's even reached Batshuayi. Great finish. Uh, no mistake whatsoever. And that, uh, really, that was not the final nail in the coffin, but it was uh, it was all but one, if you like. I've got to disagree with you and say the finest part of that move early on Um it was a, a lovely, a lovely pass on the edge of the box um, that the referee was in the way for. Just did this little beautiful step over. Um, it's, it's, it's worth rewatching to see it. But you know, I, I would have been very proud of it. Um, it, was, it was, it was impressive, and and it just added added to the quality. Um, the header was the header was excellent, um, and it's interesting that um, you know it looks as though Batshuayi is getting. As much uh, joy on his head as as Benteke has this season. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and again, he's he's a finisher of that show. I, I don't think, by the sounds of it, even though Roy was saying that I don't really know what the chances are for the future. By the sounds of things, with Chelsea's situation around transfers as it currently is, very unlikely that he's going to be a player that's available to us. And if he was, has he been, you know, the, the thirty million pound player that he will cost for us? Possibly not but scores goals um, despite being out of the game for, for long periods. Uh, you give him a chance, he tends to put it away. Um, third goal for us, Andros, another worldie. We've talked about it a little bit already. You know, ran a considerable distance, but very, very direct. Um, you know, used, used pace to get away from the defender, a little change of direction. And it's always nice when they go in off the post. You know, he was on a goals on Sunday. Um, some very interesting comments from him in that in general, but uh, clearly loved the fact that he got um, the Palace goal of the season and, and hope, well, you can't really see anyone else beating that for Premier League goal of the season. And he was pleasingly um, arrogant about it when, when talking about um, some other goals that they compared with him. Uh, he just kept saying, mine's better, better technique, harder technique. It's on the volley. Um, so... Uh, lovely to see that, but a confident Andrus Townsend, you know, who who acknowledged that his form of late hadn't been great, clearly delighted to to score a goal like that and going into the final game of the season. Hopefully, he gets another. I know Patrick said last week that he felt that his sort of silver lining for this season was Guaita, and I feel like mine's 
the fact that Townsend sort of done what his dad kept asking for um, and added goals and a few more assists to his game. Um, he seemed to have the confidence to be able to back himself in situations where maybe he wouldn't before. And he just seems to not be ballooning shots like he was before as well. Um, so for me, that's one of the big, big pluses of this season. Um, and I, I can't see it stopping. I can't see him leaving and I, I think it will carry on next season. Um, having said that, there's not many sides that will give him as much space to run as, as Cardiff gave him. Yeah, for sure. Um, we've got one last little point that I want to get to, and this is someone else has added to the document. I don't know who it is because it. I checked the pointer and it says Anonymous Raccoon. So who is Anonymous Raccoon? Not me. Uh, I think I'm Raccoon. Okay, good. So you've made, you've made a point there. Let's go for it. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about the Raccoons now. What an excellent program that was. It was, yeah, was. yeah, yeah. Great theme tune that I can't quite remember, but I remember it being good. Cyril Sneer. What, what were the excellent. Sneers? They, were they, they were some kind of skinless raccoons, weren't they? It was weird. Uh, they were pretty grim. I remember that. Yeah. I remember always rooting for the raccoons, I, despite the fact that they were pretty. I, dull. I said skinless, and I meant I meant hairless. Um, skinless raccoons would have been a much more traumatic kids show. Um, they're yeah. hairless raccoons. That's what I think they were. Um, yeah, there's there's quite some Jimmy Savile about the uh, the main Cyril Sneer actually. <laughs> when you think he had a little cigar and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, no, Sam, feel free to edit. No, that. absolutely don't. I I almost <laughs> want to talk more about the raccoons. Chris, you strike me as somebody who watched the raccoons. What do you What do you think? I want to see the version with the skinless ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm I'm going to interject here because. Cyril Sneer is actually a pink aardvark. Is he? Mm-hmm. Well, that is a game changer. I thought you were going to say like he's a relative or something, Sam, when you interjected that. I thought it was serious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Please, please don't talk about Cyril Sneer like that. He's my he's my uncle. <laughs> I am deeply offended. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, okay. Sorry, so, right. So he's an aardvark, not a allegory for Jimmy Savile. Uh, yeah, I presume that you're referring to the fact that I said some good and routine stops from Guaita, um, but too many chances for Cardiff. Yeah. Um, and I mean, uh, so Townsend brought this up again in his post-match interview, which I, I would recommend you having a, a look at. Um, he, said, he said that the team were uh, fairly upset about the, about the amount of chances that, that they provided Cardiff. Um, but to temper that, um, you know, Hodgson had warned them and said Cardiff are going to be fighting for their lives. They're going to have adrenaline running through them in a way that they might not of the rest of the season. And that, that certainly showed. Um, they did miss a couple of um, couple of really decent chances. Murphy particularly, Hoylett as well, skying one from about six yards. Um, but generally, when the balls came, um, Guaita made some, some decent stops, some routine ones. Um, you know, Efridge made an absolute blinder the other end as well. Um but I felt too much, too much came his way. Um, so I thought he had a, a tougher game than than otherwise he should have, and I think he deserves some credit for that. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I, I was kind of in, in that place where I was thinking about Guaita's performance. I always try to think how would I feel if if Hennessy performed in that exact way, and I always come to the conclusion that Guaita just makes so many more saves, um, and even when he occasionally maybe doesn't get as much on the ball as he should. You see, the one we tipped onto the post, you could argue he's actually fumbled that onto the post. So maybe he's a touch luckier than Hennessy as well. But um, I think you make your own luck at times. Um, and he's he's an excellent goalkeeper. Not a perfect goalkeeper, but we don't have any perfect players at all. That's the nature of the game. So um, he's been, been very, very good for us and an, an excellent signing, again, as Patrick was talking about last week. Well, we've been touching it onto the post. If you remember the game against Leicester where we did that um, against uh, Jamie Vardy and then there was another shot um, that he just saw, he just guided wide as well. Um, to me, it suggests that he has a, a real grasp of where his goal is behind him um, and a real sort of ability to deal with the angles and that kind of thing in a way that I haven't seen many keepers do. Um, it's no, you know, not comparing him to Hennessy, but... Um, he seems to he seems to always know um, if there's a, a little gap, um, and when that second goal went in against Cardiff, he, he was he, he was clearly angry because he knew that he only had to be a step further to to the other way, and he would have stopped it. Um, and he he basically um, he 
backed himself that the shot wasn't going to be as perfect as it was. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that that's something we haven't really talked about and, and you, you should get a lot of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, and you're right to point out, it was a, it was a very good finish from Reed, who obviously I've talked about already. But, um, but yeah, you could see he was very upset that that went in. Um, just that little added bit of pressure we didn't really need, but you know, the game was gone by that point, in, in all honesty. Um, but there we go. Uh, just a quick run through. Um, we, a couple of us have mentioned man of the match already or notable performances but i'll just run through the through the gents and see what they thought Sai, who was your your man of the match and anyone else that you wanted to pick out that we haven't talked about i think it has to be zaha you can't look past zaha but i definitely think wardy was excellent as well i thought ward had a really good game and he has he slotted in at left back really well actually i've i've been surprised how much he's slotted in there but yeah he can't look past zaha for me uh chris townsend and you know, I, I think he's he's finished the season really well. That run, that goal, you know, he, he's he's top draw. And you know, I mean, I think he's a star of the present, a star of the future. You know, maybe even a captain. Well, there we go. Strong words from Chris. There, uh, the stats back that up as well. Looked at them earlier. That um, Andrew's got an extremely high rating, as as did Wilf. Um, Mike, you've already said Wilf. Anyone else you want to pick out? Uh, we we haven't mentioned Luca at all. I don't think for a second. Um, but you know, without without Mayer, um, there had to be some some sort of connection between defence and attack. Um, and I think he went unnoticed, which is probably why we haven't mentioned him very much so far. We can't. Yeah, for sure. We can't miss Aramon Basaka. He was. I mean, do you, I don't know if you noticed midway through. I think it must have been. It was second half where he actually made a slight mistake, but then just gave him an opportunity to make another amazing slide tackle. Every single (laughs) time the ball came near him, not a single person, even in the Cardiff fans, thought the guy attacking had any hope. He was just class. Yeah, it was a a very strong performance uh, once again from him. You know, and again, as a a young player, um, and I know because it's him, when he does make a slight error, it almost seems much more noticeable. Um, And he, you know, he did lose Murphy for that chance that Murphy had at the back post early in the second half. Um, which he would be very, very upset about, I'm sure. Um, and I do ask the question if Tompkins was alongside him, whether or not that would have happened, because Tompkins does a really good job of marshalling him and, and, and pointing him in the right place. But, you know, modern day fullback, they they have to get up and down the pitch an awful lot, and they're asked to tuck in narrow, particularly under Roy. So he, he has an awful lot of work to do positionally as well. So at times he will, he will lose that winger, but one-on-one defending, you just do not get past him. Another another top display. Um, again, I, I, I at the end of the game, I thought Zaha was man of the match. Again, I've seen the stats for, for Townsend. I thought he had a very strong game as well. And I do want to point out, once again, as I mentioned earlier, I thought James MacArthur, again, a player who at times I've criticised this season, but I thought he had a very, very strong game um, against Cardiff. So it was good to see. Overall, it was a very good performance and one I was very, very happy to watch. A nice, exciting game. With, uh, with both te- both teams going for it. Okay, a uh, couple of questions to end with. Uh, I'm going to direct these. I think Mike and I have spoken probably the most, so let's talk to Chris and Sai about these. And I'm going to start with you, Chris. And this is a question from Cole Craster, who says, who do we sell and who do we buy to end the home win hoodoo? So specifically thinking about how do we start unlocking teams at home, what would be, let's keep it short, what would be a player out and a player in that you would like to pick? It's a really hard question, actually, because I, I was looking at the stats. They don't even really, sorry, this isn't a yes, no, and it isn't, a, um, you know, it's not the one, the in and out that you're asking for, but um, the stats don't really vindicate the, you know, the what we've actually perceived as being the issue that we struggle to break things down, although that's real. Clearly, in terms of where we're playing, that's not the problem. It's obviously how we're playing and how we're shooting and what those issues are. We're also going to clearly lose some players this year. And so who you drop into those gaps, I don't know. Um, who? I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're going to lose. And it's about changing the pattern of play as well. Um, ben Teke's going, I think, realistically. Uh, you need someone who can knock goals in I mean it, I, I can't think of who that player is Glenn Murray <laughs> right okay I'm going to answer for you instead so Cole Crester the answer of course is uh, James MacArthur benched and Jack Grealish in 
There we go. That is the answer. Sai, uh, Aaron McKeever has said, is Ward starting as left back an indication that PVA will be on the move in the summer? What do you think? I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think. I think there was these Juve links and things in the past. I, I don't. I, I think he's just been benched because he's played a lot of games and his form had dipped. I think he will be there next season. Although I know a lot of people would like to see him go. Sorry, did you say eBay links? I said. I said to, uh, Juve. It might be eBay. No, okay. I, I, okay. It. okay. It, it, could, it could have been eBay. Right. Um, but right. no, yeah, he's about as much chance as eBay as Juventus, I think. But um, no, I, I, don't, I don't think he'll go anywhere. Fair enough. Good, good answer there. I certainly think that next season I'd like to see more competition for for PVA at left back in a more orthodox way. Um, but Joel Ward has performed well there at Premier League and has done a good job in a couple of games that he's he's played. Um, did notice there was a tweet to us earlier on to, today at the time of recording um, where yeah. someone said Joel Ward is finished, which um, I'm not sure where that came from. I was quite surprised by that. But if whoever tweeted that wants to elaborate and get in touch, by all means do. Um, those of you who don't have Twitter or Facebook or whatever, do remember, of course, you can email us. Hi at back of the nest dot com. So penultimate sh- review show of the season is over. Um, delightful. Um, thank you very much to everybody who's listened. Um, Sai's got his hand up. I'm going to have to talk to Sai. Go on, Sai. I, I was just going to say, I think there's two things we're going to say. One is, if anyone hasn't seen the Neil Warnock version of um, Bittersweet Symphony, <laughs> then please check it out on Twitter. So that's the verb. Bittersweet Symphony with Neil Warnock is hilarious. And the second thing is, who hopes that Julian Sproni gets on next week for at least five minutes to say goodbye? I'm hoping he does, uh, or even starts, but I'm, I'm not sure he'll start. But if he gets 10 minutes, that'd be great. For sure. All right, thanks, Sai. Um, whilst we're thinking of things to say, uh, if you check out my Twitter feed, at Hambo1980, fairly recently I retweeted a fundraising effort from Stephen Barton, long-term listener for uh, of the show and for the show. <laughs> and um, um, He's doing a wonderful uh, bit of fundraising there. I've... Uh, the life of me, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but do check it out. Check my Twitter feed and please, if you can, donate to uh, Stephen's cause. And um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else I had to say. Probably not. Um, I'm going to move on. Thank you again. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. All of you who got in contact. Uh, there is, of course, the preview show in the week, uh, as well as the Love Sports show. So two more podcasts for you this week. It is the last preview show um, of the season. I dare say we'll have some sort of end of season pre- preview and review show combination of events, um, which is almost certainly going to be carnage. Um, but it's um, yeah, good good times. <laughs> Cheers to Sam for producing. Uh, rate us five stars, not for the end of the show where I'm struggling. Um, ignore that. Rate us five stars on your chosen podcast app to help spread the word. Thank you to everyone who's done that, by the way, and for the reviews, some of which have amused me greatly. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye now. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.